Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, and welcome to Changes with me, Annie McManus. So, you may have guessed, this is a place where we talk all about change, all the different types of change that can affect us in our lives, and it's proving to be a really, really vast and interesting topic. I hope you're enjoying these weekly conversations we're bringing you for Series 2 of this podcast, and uh, it's been nice just to think about change in general when doing these conversations. Obviously, the seasons have changed quite extremely over the last couple of weeks. We've gone from September to October, from summer to autumn. Hope you're okay. Hope you don't find that too unsettling and strange. And um, hope you can look at the kind of brighter sides of the oncoming autumn the lovely colour of the leaves in the trees, the woolly jumpers and clumpy boots you get to wear, tights. Oh my God, I love tights. I always welcome the day I get to put tights on. The dark nights, being able to kind of hide away in your house and blankets and books and radiators and open fires. There is lovely things about autumn. And yeah, I hope you're able to enjoy some of those things. Okay, on to the present and Beth Ditto, the incredible force of nature that is our guest on this week's episode of changes. Beth is a singer, the front woman of the band Gossip, a queer icon, a punk, loved by the fashion industry and more recently an actress as well. She topped the NME's cool list in 2006 before appearing nude on the front cover of the magazine. For many, it was the first time they'd seen a larger woman in the public eye embracing their size, embracing their naked body and unashamedly encouraging body positivity way before Lizzo, way before it was cool to do so. Beth is openly lesbian and well known for her outspoken support of LGBTQ plus and feminist issues and this conversation is no exception to that. She grew up in Arkansas in the south of the United States with her mother and six siblings before, as you will hear, leaving as a teenager to live with her aunt, a woman who had a huge effect on her and a relationship which really changed her as a person. Beth is hilarious and speaks openly about growing up, her family, divorcing her best friend, her current relationship with Ted Quo, and how all of this has changed her. I imagine many of you are going to resonate with the change she wants for her future too. Now, before we get started in this conversation, there is strong language, there's explicit sexual references, as well as issues around childhood, Christianity, and death. If you are concerned at all about content, please check the show notes for full details. Right then, let's begin. Enter the podcast, Beth Ditto. Beth Ditto, welcome to Changes. Thank you. Cha-cha-cha-cha changes. Thank you for having me. You're the first guest to do that, and I thought someone would do it a lot more before now, and I'm glad that you have done it. Thank you. <laughs> because I'm one of the most predictable people. If there's that low-hanging fruit, I say, why are we climbing higher? You know, <laughs> work, work smarter, not harder. When people are like, oh, low hanging fruit. I'm like, hell yeah, it is. Cause it's right there. Why are you climbing the tree? Just get that low hanging fruit. It's ripe. It's so, ready. Pick it. Yeah. So, 
straight straight for the straight for the changes reference. Well, that's one of the reasons Thank why we you. called it this. So I'm, I'm glad that you spotted it. So happy to have you here. <laughs> so you grew up part of a big family. Six brothers and sisters, is it? You plus yes. six or yeah, six me all plus in? Six, yeah. Seven all in. Yeah, seven all in. How was growing up for you? Where was growing up for you? I grew up in Arkansas. <laughs> my friend always teases me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Where did you grow up again? Because I talk about it so much. But it's a very, like, Golden Girls, Rose Island, St. Olaf situation. But, yeah, so I grew up in below the, in the Bible Belt. I grew up um, in a landlocked state. I didn't see the ocean until I was 14. That was the Gulf. And someone so rudely once told me, well, you haven't really seen the ocean because that's the Gulf. And I was like, bitch, it was salty. There were gulls, there were birds, there was there were sea life scurrying around that I'd never seen with my own two eyes. It's like the ocean and me. But there was a lot of us. There were there wasn't a lot of money. Mm-hmm. To, it was um, very conservative. But my family was never conservative. Um, that's why I've always been really lucky. My my family is so funny and so cool. Did you leave? Did you leave and go and live with your auntie? And what what age were you when you went to do that? I must have been 12 or 13, I think, yeah. I know that I baked my own birthday cake for my 14th birthday, so I I think I was 12. Yeah. So I went to live with my aunt. My mom had kind of moved on from my dad, and, you know, and she had had two more children. So I kind of got lost in the shuffle of middle child, you know, like for my dad, I was his his baby. I was the baby, his baby. But then for my mom, I was the middle child and one of the middle children and just kind of got like lost in the shuffle and, you know, took care of myself a lot, really. Like I really learned to be really resourceful, whether it be like sewing, cooking for myself. You know, I learned a lot of my duties were taking care of kids. I took care of kids a lot. I still love kids. Mm. I really had that feeling. I'm like, you're the future. Don't give up. (laughs) Like they make me feel really hopeful. What was it like? What was that change like then going from living with your mom and all your brothers and sisters to living with your aunt? It's so hard to say. It's like so many things happened, you know, but I will just say, we'll just start with my aunt. Like, you know, I slept on the couch. That was my bedroom. Wow. And my aunt slept on the other couch. That was, you know, that was our bedroom. Her daughter was living in the house. And then they had three foster kids. And my uncle would come in and out of town from work. And, yeah, it was just like, you know, I lived in constant head lice. I had I always had lies. <laughs> like, did, you, was, did you want to go? Did you want to go to her? Yeah, I did. Or no? I did. I did because there was something like when you're a kid like me, like I was such a kid who loved information and I loved history and Mm -hmm. I loved people. And like when I was at home, there wasn't a lot of attention to go around. And it sounds like there should have been more. It's hard to explain. You know, now that you asked me that, I'm like, did I want to go? I'm like, yeah, I did. I was like, when I found out Mm -hmm. my aunt was sick and, you know, they were like, if you stay, you know, you can... You know, you're like you're really helpful. I was just kind of like a live-in babysitter, right? Go-getter. That's what I did. But my payoff really was late-night conversations with my aunt, who was dying, who was also a very complicated person because she wasn't good to everybody, but she was good to me. And that's also really complicated. That like, it's very strange. I mean, if we had days, it's, I could explain it. But like, you know, she was in so this really interesting very very smart fiery scorpio lady and just 
really got dealt a very, very harsh hand at a really young age. You know, like she was married by 13. You know, she was a 30-year-old grandmother. Um, Either she was married by 13 or was pregnant by 13 and was a mom by 14. Yeah, she was definitely a 30-year-old grandmother. But she would tell me these stories, you know, like I lived in this small town called Judsonia and there's like 1,900 people there. Like not 2,000, not yet, not quite 2,000 people. And um, she was born and raised there. So she would just tell me about like, I remember when this was this way and down at the old bridge and, you know, like all these like, she painted these like really vivid, hot, summery nights in my head. Mm. And like, she would tell me these stories about going to the middle of the woods where, there was just this concrete slab and this jukebox in the middle. And on the weekends, all the kids, you know, they literally drag raced and stuff like that. Like, they literally did stuff like that. And then, you know, they would go out to the woods and there was a chain and a lock on it. They'd unlock it and all the kids would go dancing, you know, in the middle of the woods. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that story is so crazy to me. Here's the craziest part of it is like when she's telling you these stories, you're picturing the 16 year old woman, you know, young girl, you know, you're picturing, you're picturing a Sandra D you're picturing like a Rizzo. She was 12 years old. Yeah. You know, out going dancing and like in high heels and like stuff like that. It's really common where I grew up in a way it was similar for me because I was doing things that 12 year olds shouldn't be doing. The same way. And it, like, I don't know, what is that? What is that irony? I don't know. But this woman telling me the story at the kitchen table. And, and meanwhile, I'm this 12 year old listening to these stories. And, you know, little does she know that I'm sneaking out at night and going around with boys and, you know, stuff like that. But yeah. hell, she probably did know. But she's, yeah. she smoked. So, she probably did. Yeah, she she probably smoked did. so much. I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> you said that you're. Um... Your first change, your child, your change in childhood was about her, right? I think when I realized death and being on your own and, I don't know, loss and, that, like, people are complicated human beings. Like, how do you love someone so much that you're crying at their funeral and they're just gone? And then at the same time, like I said, it, it's, it was a really crazy time to be... A little kid. I mean, she died when I was 15. But, um, and by that time, I had moved in with my dad, too. I was just all over the place. I didn't really have a house. You know, and then at 16, I moved out and lived with my brother and my sister and got a job and worked. You know, that's what I did. Mm. Which is normal there, right? Y'all leave school at 16, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And here, you don't do that. You you go to your 18 where you've officially quit school. There's no other option. But... So how did she die? What was she? I presume she died young. Cancer. Yeah, she died at 47. She was 47. Hell. 47 and she died. She looked every bit of 70 something. You would never have known. And like, the thing is, is she was this brazen woman of like, she had so many opinions. She, she, I mean, she was where I learned a lot about, I learned about racism. I learned about right. The, you know, the difference between, you know, like a lot of political words that I wouldn't have otherwise known or like talking about Democrats versus Republicans. Like she knew a lot about basketball. She was very, very smart and she was very liberal. And she was that's how my family kind of is, which is very weird down there. It's not very right, common. Yeah. So uh, tell me how your family then reacted to you when you came out did you how did you come out when did you come out and how how did that how did that go (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. How did it go? <laughs> so how'd it go, honey? It went fine. That's the thing is like, no matter how dysfunctional my family is, I have to like really be so grateful for how nothing is a big deal. Like nothing, nothing is ever a big deal in my family. Like hardly ever. Right. With all the inappropriate conversations that were happening around me, like for, you know, whether it be because there was no adult around or because the adults were not filtering themselves because they were around children or whatever the reason. What, one thing that I did get out of that was I was like really taught a lot about the world in a way. Like I knew what gay people were, you know, I knew... I just I don't know. There weren't just there weren't a lot of secrets. Mm. It's very 80s. I don't know about you, but do you remember just watching movies and TV shows that you should not, mm. you would never let your kids watch mm. now. Mm. But your parents were like, that's Tom Hanks. <laughs> it should be good. It should be it should be fine. And you're like, "What?" <laughs> but that I feel like it was also very 80s that you just like whatever. Kids whatever. Let them watch themselves. Mm. We'll they'll roam the neighborhood. They'll come back. Maybe they'll eat, maybe they won't. Anyway, this is your your cousin is gay. <laughs> He's having butt sex with another man. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of that like just like overhearing conversations. So it wasn't a big deal. Like no one the only time it was ever weird or funny was when my aunt Artie Mae said to me, she said, "Uh, so I hope you have a really good time down here on Earth. I really hope you're happy on Earth. Oh. And you're like, you know, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> but you think about it and you're like, well, that's really nice, Artie Mae. Thanks for being concerned about my eternity. <laughs> like, to me, I was just like, well, that's nice if you think about it. I mean, she's just telling me to have a good time. And, you know, she's worried about my eternal soul. Okay. You know, meanwhile, the other aunt, my, my Aunt Susie is like, so how do y'all do it exactly like? Like, that's what I mean. Like, there's no filter in my family. Like, they'll just ask you. They'll say whatever. But for the most part, everyone was pretty chill about it. How old were you? When I came out to my family, I was 18. Um, when I came out to myself, I was really young. I did struggle with it, but not because of my family, but because of the people around me. What was wrong with the people around you? Even though my family was extremely loving and warm and, like, liberal, there was the constant reminder that you were going to go to hell, God was watching you, you know, like, a lot of people wouldn't talk to, you know, weren't allowed to come over to my house because we were, for one, so back-ass wild, for two, because my mom was very opinionated about abortion and was very opinionated about, like, especially birth control. She was very she was always she always said the minute we were even thinking about having sex to come to her and to never be afraid and right. also you know and our friends mm-hmm. you know as soon as our friends like my mom was like if your friends are need any kind of help just to let her know and she did and on one hand it gave her this reputation and on the other those same people who were talking shit about her were the ones that would come to my mom when their kids were in trouble you know mm-hmm. so like just knowing that actually it's all bullshit. It's all for show. Mm. You know, when the cards fall, everybody's just, it's the whole facade of being a, a true Christian or whatever that means. Like the moral high ground was all bullshit. There were very few people I knew growing up that I actually believed that they were living their truth. And like my grandmother was one of them. But she came, she was like a devout Pentecostal. And she worked her ass off, worked her ass off for Jesus and for the great, you know, like she, nothing, 
all of her hardships seemed like they would pay off mm. in the afterlife. And I really think, I really think that that was real for her. Mm. So you're changed, like getting out of Arkansas after having yeah. this wild ride of a childhood, moving to your aunt's, her passing away, which I can imagine had a profound impact on you. Then you it moved into so brothers sad. and sisters. How did, how did that impact you, her passing away, looking back now? I think her dying made me grow up. It made me question spirituality. It made me question what what's a good person and what's a bad person. Right. And that, like, you know, that no one, nothing is ever that cut and dry and that everyone is complicated mm-hmm. and that it really broke me into feminism. All of the abuses that my aunt was, sub- was subjected to, like they stemmed from, you know, they, com- they had everything to do with the abuses that she committed. And I really believe that like, right. it doesn't set you up for mental illness or mental stability or any kind of stability. And so I think she was only, continuing a cycle that she knew and I feel like with it with me she found uh, someone who would just listen to her and enjoyed listening to her she here she is she's 13 years old she's pregnant she's unmarried he doesn't know what to do with her and then here's my uncle who's this like raucous gambler that's how he paid his gambling debts to her dad was by marrying this 13 year old pregnant girl and that fucking hell mm-hmm. alone being 13 and having to grow up. But what I got out of it was a fem- was feminism and that, like, you know, I think there's this idea that, especially when I'm talking to younger people, like my nephews, and they were, we were talking about mansplaining and manspreading and why it's, like, why when a woman does it, it's different. Or, like, why when a woman takes up space, it's different. And, like, it really gave all of that time with her and all, when her leaving me, like, leaving leaving me behind, I guess, was like, I had, it gave me this feeling like why, why feminism matters. Right. I don't know what the right words are, but it really was an awakening in me. And I, and it also made me go, I don't want to be, stay here. And around that time is when I met my bandmates, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you left and I left. Yeah. Uh, three years later I left. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the funny thing was, my options were, I turned, you know, I turned 18, I graduated high school, free as a bird, and my options were, I could stay with that uncle, like my aunt's. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah, I could stay with him and take care of the last, the last remaining foster kid and mm-hmm. make sure that she was going to be okay or I could move away. And that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made because... I felt so responsible for this girl, you know? Right, yeah. Like, I really wanted her to turn out okay. I wanted her to have some stable voice. I didn't want her to have to bounce around from house to house. And, you know, she's already in the foster care system, and that's already Mm. fucked up. And then the person who's been taking care of her died, and now she's just, it's like, what does she do now? I I really did feel like I was really abandoning her, but I I had to go because it was that thing, right? Like, how dare we put ourselves first? Yeah. You should have stayed there. But it's also like, well, 
if I don't think many people would ask that of a nephew. Nobody was asking my brothers to stay. Yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a huge burden on someone. Like that's a huge burden on you at that age of your life to have to even make up your mind on stuff like that. You know, do you even have to take that on? That's a lot. I don't know. It is a lot. But I I feel like, you know, when you come from a place like I do, I think we all have stories. But sometimes I tell my story to people. And then there are people who grew up similar to me. And they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, totally, totally. And then you tell people and they're like, what? And you're like, (laughs) you know, when you grow up and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. You didn't do that in your family? And they're like, no. <laughs> Let's talk about when you left home. Yeah. And you left Arkansas. Yeah. Where did you go? I went to Olympia, Washington. I graduated in 1999. I graduated in May. And my friend Kathy bought my plane ticket on her credit card. We bought a one-way ticket, said I'd pay her back. I'd get a job while I was up there, work for another ticket to fly home. But sure. never flew home. And my mom said that. She's like, you're never coming home. You know that. She's like, you're going to get up there and you're going to love it and you're never going to, you're not coming back. It was like May, I was graduating and by probably August, we had started a band. There was so much cool shit going on there and it was like queer core and like, it was a crazy time. Like the, when I landed, it was June and I think that July or August was Yo-Yo A Go-Go. And I don't know if you know anything about Yo-Yo A Go-Go. No. You're more of a raver. Yeah. As we know. <laughs> This back, is- <laughs> back in those days, definitely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is more of like a punk thing, punk underground yeah. thing. But it was amazing because it was like this punk rock pop festival that happened every two years or something. And I just so happened to land and it'd be right right before Yo-Yo. And it's like I got to see all these crazy bands all of a sudden. Right. So I thought this is what Olympia was like. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was like, this place is popping. But it's not at yeah. all like that at all. <laughs> At all. I just showed up at the right time. But it was for, it was amazing. And then it's like September, we were playing shows. And then by the next summer, we were going on tour with Slater Kinney and had never been anywhere. We were idiots. We were idiots. Mm-hmm. No cell phones. No, like, no GPS. Nothing. Like, just, yeah. like, raw intuition. <laughs> it was a wild time. 18-year-olds wreaking havoc. It was amazing. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Okay, so your, your second change that you spoke about is about your marriage. So you were married to... Divorce was a changer. Yeah. 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 So tell me about that. So this was a a woman that you met when you were, what, 18? Mm, Around that time. Like, around that time, we we were very close. Like, inseparable. We were always together. So you think it's going to be a good idea, don't you? Like, you're like, this is going to be a piece of cake. This is so smart. How could this go wrong? (laughs) But then you remember... Think about all the shit that annoys you about your very best friend. Now, 
marry them you know like when you're like you don't think about it and it's weird because I was 30 31 almost 32 or maybe just turned 32 and you feel like you're this is one reason why you're like age is so crazy because like when you're 32 you're like I got this man I'm grown and now I'm almost 40 and I'm like no what a dumbass (laughs) what a dumbass but the wedding was amazing like, I'll yeah. never regret the wedding. So you spent your, your whole 20s together. You grew up together. No, we didn't. We weren't dating. Okay. We were not friends. dating. We were just friends. We lived in an apartment, and it was a two-bedroom apartment, and I was there with my very first girlfriend, and she lived in the room across the hall. Someone was living, and then my best friend was living in the dining room. Like, it was like all yeah. of those early punk days, you know, like where you just slept you turn anything into a bedroom. So we were living, we were really close. We, like, I knew her family really well. She knew my family really well. And, but we had always had this pact that we would get married. But when I was 32 and she was 35, if we weren't married. And because we thought that was old, right? Like I was 19 or so and she was like 22. So we're like, okay, when we're fucking old as hell, you know, like 35, and you're like gross and 32 and old, we're going to get married. Like, and we kept that promise. Isn't that crazy? Wow, that is crazy. Because everyone, like, I know so many people who had those promises. Like, it's kind of this thing that you do, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. And, and you and, and I think did because you, we're did you want to do it? Like when you were 32 were you like okay, I'm up I'm we're, let's oh, go. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Yeah. I was totally excited about yeah. it. I mean, yeah. In hindsight, like, we always had a very strong love for each other. Like we loved yeah. each other very 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 much. And even like romantically, you know, physically, we loved each other very much. It just is not a good idea. It's not a good right. match. And sadly, we don't even really talk now. Right. That's the saddest part. The saddest part about that, and like what I really did, I really, what changed me for sure from that was just being like, don't ignore the actual voices that are really going on. Like they're there for a reason, you know? Right. Like I was just yeah. like, but we're in it, and this is this is what you do, and this is what this is going to be okay. But really, the bandaid should have been ripped off, and I should have just been like, "Are you really feeling comfortable?" Like I don't know. Yeah. I learned yeah. a lot about listening to myself and what I what, like, and not being naive. Like I was so yeah. naive, <laughs> like so yeah. dumb. Like who? Like why? For just for the romantic fairy tale of getting married at thirty-two because you're old yeah. when you're nineteen. That was one of the like a big changer, but really, I didn't really realize how how unrelationship like our relationship was until I got with Teddy, and I was like, oh, okay. this is actual happiness, you okay. know, like I felt yeah. like we were in it, in it, we were doing something. Like I felt like, you know, I, for the first time I was like, oh, I would go anywhere with him. Like, anywhere he wants to go. Like, if he yeah. woke up and was like, we're going to go up a mountain. I wouldn't do it now, but when we first got together, I was like, totally, I will. But now I'm like, <laughs> you go up that mountain alone, pal. I'll be here when you get back. Yeah. I'll be right here waiting for you. We can talk all about it. You can show me your pictures, and I'll show you what I crocheted. <laughs> you know, like, all through quarantine, it's been really crazy because I've read people being like, I'm gonna, he's driving me crazy. And I'm like, Teddy's not driving me crazy once. 
Yeah. I think we've both been in long-term relationships too, where we were both just like, we know what we do not want. And that is one of the best right. things to know. Like even when you're making a decision about what to have for dinner, like when people are like, what are we going to have for dinner? You're like, no, what are we not going to have for dinner? I know what I don't. That's exactly right. <laughs> the real, what matters most guys is what are we not having? Get those off the what list. What do you not want? Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> then you can be like, okay, well, then we've got Chinese tacos and um, <laughs> um, fin for yourself on the list. So, which for me will be lentil soup in a can. You know, it's just like, it really can <laughs> yeah. apply that to everything. It works. But it really makes a big difference. One of the things that you said that I thought was interesting about the change in being in this relationship with Teddy was it was fulfilling and it wasn't basically something that had anything to do with obligation or 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 fear i think you used the 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 word fear Fear, yeah yeah when did you realize that there was you know that was that that was a difference if you know what i mean that 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 fundamental difference in the relationship that it was something that was fulfilling it was nourishing for you the feeling of being happy right you know like the, the genuine and the other thing is me realizing I'd never had that feeling before. I've been in love. I know what it feels like to be in love and how warm and beautiful and terrifying that feeling is. But I never realized that love shouldn't be terrifying, actually. You shouldn't be constantly afraid to lose it. You should be afraid of taking people for granted. You should be afraid of not showing your appreciation. You should be afraid of not being your truest self. You should be afraid of not sharing, being, you know, feeling that you can share your feelings. You should be afraid of those because those are warning signs. But you shouldn't be afraid that you're always on the verge of losing someone. And I always had that tangled up with love and always felt like if I could just do this or if I could just do that like I don't have that feeling now I feel like if if we are going to do something we are doing it and I think before I just thought if I could keep my head above the water that everything would be okay because I was always acting out of terror and I really confused anxiety with love and you hear things like that, don't you, from older people? Yeah, They're like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, in marriage, there's good years and bad years. And I'm like, well, in a marriage, yeah, I'm sure there are good years and bad years. But the reason why there are good years and bad years in a marriage shouldn't be because of the marriage. Yeah. To me, yeah. <laughs> it seems like it should be because of what's surrounding it and what's rubbing you to yeah. the situational. And the situation yeah, shouldn't yeah, yeah. be the nuptials. You know, yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be, it shouldn't be your marriage. It shouldn't be the two people. Like, I really don't think I'd have known that had I not met Teddy. I think it would have taken me a lot longer. But also somebody yeah. who was 45 years old had right. been through, who does not look 45. Go ahead and Google yeah. that. No, he does, not. he does not. He does not look 45. Hop on the old Annie Max. He does yeah. not look 45. It's crazy. I for that. I know. I've, t- t- people have actually thought he was my son. That's not a joke. I like to tell them he's my son. This is my son. <laughs> I'm proud of him. He's beautiful. <laughs> he's so cute. But I, I think having someone who's old enough and has done the work, somebody who's gone to therapy a lot, enjoys therapy, loves therapy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but also, like, another big change with Teddy was that, like, he's a trans man. And when we are in public, you know, people don't know, and it's just the two of us, like, people read you as this, like, straight couple. 
Why? Which is both strange and fine, but also that's the thing. It's like it, it comes with this strange straight passing privilege, but at the same time, there's like these underlying like crazy making anxieties, you know, it's just like, especially like yeah. with politics and stuff. Will your, will your gender be acknowledged? Will your, you know, like things like that. But it's really interesting because you did, it was like, I went from being obviously a dyke, getting on the plane, married to a woman, sitting next to my wife with yeah. the same last name. She's Japanese. I'm white. You can tell that we're, you know, well, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. But they were like, you're not sisters. So, you know, and then being treated differently for that, uh, way differently. And I even forgot how different. And how? What? Like, tell me how. Just like people's relationship to you, you make them uncomfortable. Because that's the thing is, it's like, the things can be subtly homophobic or just, you know, it doesn't really mean that you're outwardly like, I do not support gay marriage. I don't, you know, it's not like that. It's Mm. the things that make you go, oh, 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 yeah. Like, sorry, I didn't realize it was in our midst. (laughs) You know, they're like, they suddenly turn into like, (laughs) (laughs) like Groucho Marx. They're just like, whoa, oh, like, like literally being like, oh, gotcha, oh, gotcha, oh, gotcha. Like that was our last name. And just being like, oh, 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 oh. Like you can see it. Right, right. You know, I never was like, bitch or any, I never cared. I'm just thinking about like the airplane. Cause that was always where it got people the most. Cause they would be like, Oh, gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Oh, okay. Or like, <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Not just that, but like, you know, in public when you're scared, you know, when you go down to Arkansas yeah. and you're like, for what I we know. take for granted is just like holding hands and stuff. And just being yeah. like, you know, like we were just a couple, but when we went to Arkansas, it was fear. I would mm. be like, I don't know if this is the right place to hold hands. <laughs> you mm. know, it was, mm. you know. And so, and so with Ted, you are, you're able to be, be t- like in that way, yeah. not worried about those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever, are you ever like tempted to be like, well, I think you're fine. <laughs> actually, Ashley. I know what you mean. Actually, Jonathan. Yeah. Wait till you hear that. Um, I don't don't do, I don't. I have thought, like, oh, if they only knew. Has it changed the way that you, I mean, obviously you are someone who is going to, like, be part of this community of of trans people, but has it changed Mm -hmm. your outlook on being trans, just having, being in love with someone who's a trans man? I see what they go through. I see the struggle that I never had firsthand. Yeah, I've never seen with my own... I've never experienced myself and, like, being the partner of someone trans. And then you also have, like, a really overwhelming sense of protection. You already knew the hardships of it, but there's there are things that that are, are like, we take for granted going to the bathroom. Sure. You sure. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that anxiety, yeah. just bodies, and just, like, where you feel safe swimming, where you feel safe being your true self it is very much ingrained in who you are like it's it's it is something that's on your mind every not me but like it can cause a lot of anxiety with places that are unfamiliar traveling can be pretty difficult sometimes not difficult not like oh god but like you know like i'm not going it's too difficult but like there there can be anxiety so you have to deal with different you just have a different set of obstacles definitely right right
So let's talk about this final change, the change that you want to see for yourself in the future. This is a good that one. Changes. What did I say? Learning how to say no. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and probably that day, for some reason, I was like, I really got to start learning how to say no. I overexert, overextend myself a lot. Okay. A lot. So you people please. You kind of say yes. Big to... time. Big time. Yeah. Right. Which goes back to my upbringing, you know. I'm always trying to make people happy. And when you're in the middle child too, you're just constantly in the middle. So your job is always just feel like being stretched either way. And like, especially if you come from like a, what's it called? Like a mixed family. So like, yeah, I just want to make people happy. And, right. you know, I think being a Pisces too, because I believe in that wacky dyke shit. But like, I really feel like mm -hmm. I just want people to be happy. And sometimes I do it at my own expense and I shouldn't do that. When, when, you know, there are things I should be saying yes to that are for, mm. will make far more of an impact. Are you getting better at saying no? Are you learning? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not. I need exercises, though. Are you good at it? What would you change? Do people ask you that question always? No, but I like it. Um, Does I, it change every I, day? I need to be better at relaxing. I need to be better at learning how to be in space and surrounded by space. And when I mean space, I mean like time without having this in the moment, like this, this constant need to fill everything with lists and a plan and a schedule. I, I just need to be able to sit and be like, I'm just going to sit here for an hour and just allow my thoughts to exist. I'm so bad. You at need that. a hobby. I'm so bad. You at that. need a hobby. Well, you know what I learned during lockdown? I didn't learn it, but I took it up more. Jigsaws. There you go. And I found them so meditative. That's good for your because rigid brain. I was able, you right, know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're somebody who does need structure, what's more structured? Yeah. You know, than like putting a jigsaw, you know, it's like, so true. Yeah. And if you're someone who needs to fill their time, like that, that could, they could fill hours of time. I like mm. to people, please. Like I like to do things for people and that will make me fill my time in really weird ways. I'll be like, well, from three to five, I'm going to drop off the car yeah. to Samuel because they're driving up to Samson Hill. And if I don't get it there, then the baby's not going to have any milk. <laughs> like and I'll put that weird kind of shit on myself I'm like who fucking cares so yeah so if I don't go the baby's gonna die and that's pretty much it so see you later and no baby's dying on my watch capiche <laughs> Beth Ditto you are a queen I you really are appreciate a queen. your time I uh, thank you for your honesty thank you for your jokes thank you for all of it <laughs> thank you what a woman. Thank you so much to Beth Ditto. Learning to say no, man. That's a real hard one. Are you bad at that too? I've, I've really struggled with that over the years, but I had a kind of breakthrough uh, come the end of my 30s and got so carried away with saying no that I think I went too far. <laughs> so now I'm kind of pulling it back to trying to be open to things whilst also being sensible enough to say no when I have to. Thank you to Beth. Let us know, of course, what you thought of the conversation. 
And thank you also for your comments on Booker Prize winner Bernadine Evaristo last week. Lucy Jane Thompson said, bloody amazing episode. Loved how Bernadine talked about losing, but then rediscovering herself after a toxic relationship. And the part where she discusses her right to take up space within a patriarchal, racialized society. She speaks with such power. Andrea on Instagram, what an incredible interview, a force indeed. I love the clear aims for what society needs at the end. What an inspiring and interesting lady. It's so lovely to hear how you guys are feeling about the podcast, how you're reacting to it. So please keep coming. And if you missed it, don't forget to listen to our bonus episode. It dropped on Friday. It features Blue Planet 2 producer Orla Doherty. She is an incredible woman, typically humble, but she should be shouted about on the rooftops. She is such a remarkable, adventurous explorer and spent 500 hours in three oceans filming for the series of Blue Planet 2 and says she would live in the ocean if she could. She's got such a mad perspective on our world and on sustainability. So do go check it out. If you loved Blue Planet 2 or saw Planet Earth a celebration on BBC One recently, this is not to be missed. Okay, I will be back next week with something very different. Ex-neo-Nazi Nigel Bromage was groomed into extremism and radicalised as a teenager. He has since left and founded Exit UK, dedicating his life to helping people escape far-right extremism and educating people about the dangers. It's a really fascinating and very pertinent listen in 2020. This episode was produced by Louise Mason through Rethink Audio. See you next time. Thank you and goodbye. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.